Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Religion Today with Martin Tanner, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today, I wanted to talk about the eighth article of faith and the history of the Bible. The eighth article of faith of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a marvel in that it's so simple that it gives people a wide degree of latitude in what they believe that it means or what it means to them might be a better way to say it. Let me explain. What does the eighth article of faith say? It says, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it's translated correctly. And it goes on to talk about the Book of Mormon being the Word of God as well. But what is the Bible? We believe the Bible to be the Word of God. Well, which Bible, which version, which books? There are a lot of different answers to that. The very first time, for example, that the books in the New Testament that we have today were ever described in a list as the correct books of the New Testament was in 315 AD, almost 300 years after the time of Jesus. What does the word Bible even mean? It originally came from a Hebrew word, which is related to a number of other Semitic words that means scroll or roll, which is kind of like our books today. It then morphed into Greek and Latin in the word biblion or biblia, which also meant book or books. And after it went into Latin, then it came into English eventually with the same word. But it doesn't really mean books anymore. It means a specific book that's not even just a book. It's a bunch of books together. And there are disagreements about exactly which books should be in the Bible and which should not. For example, if someone said, is the Bible canon set? Most people would say, oh, it is. We're not going to add any more books. But if we then asked, what if we found a book that had authentic words of Jesus in it? Wouldn't we add that? Most people would say yes. 
Well, we have. It's called the Gospel of Thomas. And although there are some things in the Gospel of Thomas that are clearly a Gnostic gloss, and by that I mean added words from the Gnostics who lived the second, third centuries after the time of Christ, kind of an unusual and interesting group, that book most definitely has authentic sayings of Jesus. How do we know that? Well, most of them are in the New Testament, but many of them are not and are deemed to be real words of Jesus by scholars. So should we add the Gospel of Thomas to the New Testament because it has the authentic words of Jesus? Well, maybe and maybe not. Bruce Mesker at the Princeton Theological Seminary thought maybe the canon was not closed. Many other people think it is. So even the question of what is the Bible is open to interpretation. Does it mean the Apocrypha or not? Let's go back even earlier. If you talk about the history of the contents of the Bible, when were Adam and Eve alive? Well, somewhere before 4000 BC would be an approximate estimate, an approximate guess. What about the Tower of Babel? People variously say that that event in the Bible happened between 2,500 and maybe 2,000 years before the time of Christ. That was once thought to be entirely a myth, but the Tower of Etamenanki has been found, and it is believed generally by most scholars to be the basis for the story of the Tower of Babel in the Bible. And it was a tall ziggurat, a, a, a large stepped pyramid that was incredibly tall for the time period in which it was built. So some of the earliest Bible stories before 2000 BC or approximately 2000 BC are based on actual events. Then you get to Moses and the Ten Commandments. There are various ideas about when that happened, but 1500 BC, 1400 BC might be an approximation. Now, by the time we get to Moses and this discussion of the Ten Commandments that Moses delivered, we have to ask, do we have any copies of those? Well, only in the Bible, but none that date anywhere close to the time of Moses. What is the earliest known Bible scripture anywhere? It dates to 650 B.C., so 800 years after the time of Moses. That's a long time after. It is the Ketef Hinnom, which was discovered in 1979. It is a small little amulet that was carried around someone's neck, and it's from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, which basically reads, May the Lord keep you and bless you. May his face shine upon you, and may he guide you. It's a beautiful, beautiful Bible passage. That's the earliest known Bible passage in the world. 
650 B.C. It's generally believed that the Old Testament, as we have it today, was compiled after the Ketef Hinnom by about 150 years or so, at approximately 500 B.C. That's when all of the Hebrew manuscripts that make up the 39 books of the Old Testament were believed to have been compiled. And then you get a few hundred years later to the earliest of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 300 B.C. Some of those date to as late as 68 A.D. But that was a remarkable discovery that happened in a very recent time frame, 1947. Then we have, in 200 B.C., the compilation of the book that's the basis for the Bible that Jesus and his apostles were acquainted with. This was in about 300 B.C. to 200 B.C., what we call the Septuagint Old Testament. This was a manuscript of the Bible done in Greek. Why would the Jews write a Bible in Greek? Well, the answer is they had been exiled by the Babylonian conquering of uh, of Jerusalem. And when they were exiled, they went all kinds of different places, and their children during the next several generations, whether it was in Egypt or Babylon or some of the other places, began to have Hebrew as a second language, not a first language, and their parents wanted them to have the scriptures. And so, ultimately, Jews in Alexandria, Egypt, commissioned a Greek Bible so their children would have their Jewish traditions. And the Septuagint, Greek Bible, was commissioned. That, ironically, was the book that spread during the Roman Empire, where everyone spoke Greek, and was the book from which Jesus read in the synagogue. He was probably reading Greek. All the known New Testament manuscripts and Old Testament manuscripts that date from the time of Christ are written in Greek, something that's actually quite surprising to many, but is actually true. When we come back from our break, more about the history of the Bible and what it says about our faith and how we should maybe look at the eighth article of faith, the Bible being the Word of God as far as it's translated correctly. I'm Martin Tanner. Stay tuned. This is Religion Today. Religion Today with Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. We're discussing the history of the Bible in the meaning of the eighth article of faith of the LDS Church. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it's translated correctly. If you have a question or comment about this or any other show, if you have an idea for a show, or if you have just a general religious question or something that is puzzling you, feel free to send me an email. I'm pretty close to caught up now. And if you... uh, would like to send that to me, and I don't know the answer. I will find someone else who does. So 
Let your heart not be troubled. Send your questions and comments to martinstanner at gmail.com. martinstanner at gmail.com. The next point that I'd like to make in the Eighth Article of Faith is that we believe the Bible to be the Word of God. Well, what does that phrase, Word of God, mean? And that's something that is open to personal interpretation in the faith of the LDS Church. If you were to ask most Protestants, is the Bible the Word of God? They would tell you yes, and they would mean the New Testament. If you ask them what that phrase, Word of God, means, they would tell you it means God gave the actual words to the authors of the New Testament, and they just wrote them down. Now, the rub with that point of view is that we don't have any of the original documents. We only have copies of copies of copies. In the LDS faith, there's a wide variety of points of view, and this also extends to the Book of Mormon. And the reason these variety of views exist is because we don't know exactly how the Book of Mormon was translated by Joseph Smith. We, as Latter-day Saints, believe that it was inspired by God. But does that mean it came word for word or concept by concept or sentence by sentence or idea by idea or some people believe letter by letter, which I think is absurd, but those are the different ideas and people are free to adopt any one that they might have. It's the same in looking at the Bible. If you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, does that mean it was inspired by God? Does that mean the New Testament was given somehow word by word, or letter by letter, or sentence by sentence by God? It would be quite fascinating if that were the case, because there are some things that are different in order, different in content things that are elaborated upon by the different gospel writers, for example. And there are nuances within the different doctrines that one finds in the New Testament. And so, for me, it seems obvious that both with the Book of Mormon and with the Bible, especially if you look at the famous or infamous Lost 116 Pages incident, that what happened with the translation of the Book of Mormon and with the inspired books in the Bible is that they were given by inspiration of God, and there's a divine component and a human component. In other words, the people who wrote both as scribes for the Book of Mormon and as mouthpiece, if you're talking about Joseph Smith and the writers of the New Testament, they were not given the text word for word. They were given inspired content. What that word inspired means is up to every individual. So that's a fascinating comment as well, because 
is the Bible the Word of God? Well, as far as it's translated correctly, but what does translation mean? That means that as the Bible has gone from Greek to Latin to French to English and through various translations and as people look at various early manuscripts, is there a perfect Word of God translation? That's a very difficult, difficult question to answer. The earliest nearly complete manuscripts of the New Testament date to the 4th century, 325-350 AD, Codex Sinaiticus, Codex Vaticanus. Those are the earliest ones. The first time we have an official statement about the books that ought to be considered authoritative is from 315 AD, when Athanasius, the Bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, first mentioned these 27 books in an Easter address. And then the waters are muddied in 382 AD when Jerome thought the Septuagint Bible was deficient, and so he needed and wanted a new translation. And so he translated the Latin Vulgate. And that's the one that ultimately led to the King James Bible. And if people who are scholars today look at Jerome's Latin Vulgate, they would think it is quite deficient and problematic based on the earliest manuscripts that we have now. But having said that, in most ways, the Bible is an incredibly accurate book. We have well over 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. Most old literature from that era, Plato's Republic and other early works like that of Archimedes, like that of the writings of some of the emperors of Rome and historians, Josephus, Pliny, you might have a few manuscripts or maybe a hundred or two hundred manuscripts, but not thousands like we have of the New Testament. By 500 AD, the scriptures were translated into over 500 languages. Ultimately, you had the Catholics and the Orthodox church churches split. That was in 1054. And then in 1384, John Wycliffe or Wycliffe completed the first complete manuscript in English of the entire Bible. I have a, a facsimile of that. It's absolutely beautiful. It's an amazing accomplishment. And from there, the, the printing press was invented in 1440 by Gutenberg, and the Bible was mass-produced. In 1522, Martin Luther's German New Testament was printed. In 1526, a man named William Tyndale produced the first New Testament in English, and then later the complete Old Testament. And he's the guy that we should be forever grateful to because the King James translators used William Tyndale's translation word for word, 84% of the New Testament 
and 76% of the Old Testament. William Tyndale was just an incredible, incredible guy. And from there, you have the King James Bible, which I mentioned in 1611, and a number of different revisions to it. And of course, we have the Good News translation, which I find a particular favorite in 1976. In 1979, the LDS Church published its own Bible based on the updated King James Version. And from there, you have the New Revised Standard Version and the Contemporary English Version and a number of other Bibles. That's a short history of the Bible, which has greater influence than any other book in the history of the world. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.